if you uh, would like to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I'll be reading in just a moment uh, from a number, number of places there. So if you've been with us for any time, we, we've been in the book of Genesis, uh, seeking to build a biblical worldview. Looking, we've, we've just made it into Genesis chapter 4. But for, for the time being, right now, we, we pause and now we turn our attention to Luke's gospel, uh, to John's later on, and, and we look towards Easter. Uh, someone asked me just quite recently, for Christians... Isn't Easter, shouldn't Easter, Easter be more important than Christmas? And I think the reason the question was asked, because you have in December, you have this whole month built up. You have people putting decorations on their homes. Everything's kind of rearranged. You have, even when you go into like malls or different places, you hear Christmas music blaring and even singing songs about the birth of Christ. But Easter... You don't, have, you don't have that music. You don't have the, the decorations. Maybe some people put out Easter bunnies. They buy more chocolate. But culturally, there's not this same thing put around Easter. But the same way we've been looking at Genesis, we want to develop a biblical worldview. We want to continue to do that with all of Scripture. We want to keep seeking to orient, to shape our lives by God's Word. It's interesting that in the Gospels, only two out of four of them speak of the birth of Christ. Something we would spend a month, and I think it's good to celebrate and look towards the birth of Christ. But in the Gospels, those are the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the Gospels, a minimum of 25% of each Gospel is, is, uh, has the focus of Jesus' last week on earth, his death, burial, and resurrection. That, that's the focus of the gospel message. And even John's gospel has 40% of his gospel is focused on Jesus' last days on earth. Th- that's what the writers were trying to tell us. Like, yes, it's amazing how Jesus was born. We celebrate that, the Immaculate Conception, God in the flesh, absolutely. But looking towards the cross, that's the gospel writer's focus. That should be our focus as well. That's it. That's what's important. So we're going to be in in the gospel of Luke for three messages, jumping into his gospel, turning our attention towards Easter, turning our hearts, our thoughts. The goal this evening is kind of twofold. I want us to bring our attention, starting to look towards the cross, and then also see what God would teach us from his word at this time. As we're kind of like thinking through these three messages, my question is, who's got the power? Who's got the power? There's a saying, some politician said, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Humanly speaking, yes, that's true. But who has the true power and how is it expressed? I pray we're going to start to get a glimpse of that this evening as we open up the scripture kind of two points I'm telling you ahead of time, even before I read, I want us to see there's power in service and there's power in prayer. In Good Friday, we want to see that there's power in his sacrifice. On Easter Sunday, there's power over sin and death through Christ. So if you want to stand with me, 
We're going to read two sections of the Gospel of Luke. We stand as we read God's Word. I'm looking first at Luke 22, verses 24 to 30, and then 39 to 46. Luke 22, 24 to 30. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves." You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Looking at verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. May God bless his word to our souls this evening. You can have a seat. So we're looking at two parts of of Luke 22. Asking the question of this, these texts, where is power found? So the first section I want us to look at, Luke 22, 24 to 30, and just tell you up front, I want want us to see there's power in service. There's power in service. If you look at verse 24, but just before you do that, just give me the context. We're just diving into Luke's gospel. This is all taking place on the Thursday evening, right? Good Friday obviously follows next. We usually, we celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then Jesus was there in Jerusalem. He was teaching each day in the temple. And then he brings us to a Thursday evening as Jesus gathered with his disciples. He, he, he teaches them many things. He has his last meal with them. And this is kind of where we pick up in this story, right after the Last Supper. If you look at, at verse 24 again with me, a dispute also arose among them, that would be the disciples, the apostles, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Isn't this unbelievable? This is what they were talking about. This is after the Last Supper, conversation amongst them. They're normal people from normal walks of life. Conversation starts to go. They're like, I want it to be about me. This is the, this is the apostles. And if you'll notice at verse 23, the question that they were looking at before, or sorry, 22 and 23, Jesus said this, talking about one who's going to betray him. 
Verse 21, for the Son of Man goes and it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So they went around from questioning who's going to betray Jesus to I think I'm the greatest. And someone's like, no, I think I'm the greatest. That, this is where the conversation turned to. Pretty amazing, but again, I don't know if we know ourselves. Sometimes we, we kind of want to turn the attention towards ourselves. This is what we see. Humanly speaking, this is what was happening after the Last Supper. We want it to be much more spiritual, holy, and it was, but yet still, they're humans. Other, other Gospels has this kind of conversation happening in different places, but Luke has it right after the Lord's Supper. So Jesus, like overhearing this conversation, speaks it directly to it. Look at verse 25 with me. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Benefactors, it could mean friends of the people. MacArthur says this, they're people of influence. The Greek word was often used as a title of honor for prominent public leaders. Right? Like we get that, that people of power, people of influence, there's, there's people in authority over others. Jesus is saying, like, that's how the world works. Right? We, we understand that, right? How the, our world understands the greatest and most powerful. We understand how there's different places of authority. Often it's from position, right? If someone has a position, they hold authority and power, whether it's in politics or, or the workplace, being a president of something, CEO. Or, or, or people having a certain skill higher than the rest, right? If, you, if you're a gold medalist, we don't, you know, reward the ones who are like subpar, but those who are, are best at what they do. Or those who are famous, who have, who have millions of followers. We say, okay, they have some sort of authority over people. They have a platform. I'm a little tired of platforms these days. Just want to watch sports sometimes, like don't care what, they're, what they have to say about other issues. I just, I think they're good at basketball, perhaps, and I just want to watch that. But our, our world is, is just giving authority to people who have lots of followers or, or people who have lots of money. It seems to have an authority within our world, right? Jesus is speaking to these structures and saying, like, you guys can clearly see that. Can you not? So I think the way the disciples viewed power is, is the way it's still, there's still power in our own day, but we as Christians, we need to be corrected here, just as they were. We need a heart change, a reorientation to God's ways, because look at verse 26. Jesus says, okay, like, look, this is how the world holds power, verse 26, but not so with you. Not so with the followers of Jesus Christ. Not so with you, rather, let the greatest among you Become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. Like, it, it's kind of shocking. Jesus is saying the opposite of what they're thinking. Often, you know, if you have the, let the old among you speak first, like, and speak wisdom, and the young ones can maybe sit in the back and be silent. And Jesus is saying, just kind of to show the contrast, let the greatest among you be as the youngest, as in, in the background. As in saying nothing. We think, well, that's not the leader. And the leader as one who serves. Again, this is not how we think of leadership. This is not how we think of authority. This is not how we think of power. 
And Jesus continues on with the example, verse 27. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? The answer is obvious. It's the one who reclines at the table. The one who serves them is less. Jesus says it. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But look at this. But I am among you as the one who serves. Look at this, this contrast. Look at this, the question. Who is the greater one among you? Oh, for sure, it's the one who sits at the table. Jesus says, but I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is the example in this. For sure, the disciples were getting it right. That is where authority lies within the world. He says, within the church, followers of him, he says, I am among you as one who serves. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word, the Eternal One, the second member of the Trinity, God in the flesh. Jesus. Colossians 1.16, I'll in the Bible, it says this about Jesus, for by him all things were created in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's who is speaking. But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus left us a number of examples. If you want to turn with me first to John chapter 13. In John's gospel, he has this happening maybe earlier than this conversation happened. But John records this. Again, Jesus' example of service. Again, remembering who Jesus is, the one who spoke the world into existence and holds all things together. This is the one we're talking about. So we're talking about actually the most powerful one ever is the one who served. In John 13, looking at verses 3 to 5, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Like, how humbling. He is going to the lowest thing. This is something that servants were supposed to do, to wash people's feet. And yet Jesus, the incarnate one, The one who was casting out demons, healing the sick. The one who walked on water. The one who multiplied, you know, bread and fish and fed 5,000, 4,000. The one who raised Lazarus from the dead. He got on his knees and he he washed his disciples' feet. And we know how it goes down. Peter's like, no, you know, don't don't wash me. And and Jesus says, well, I I need to. Peter says, okay, we'll wash all of me. He's like, no, I just need to wash your feet. Peter's the first one to speak all the time. So Jesus, he goes around, he washes everyone's feet. The strongest one, the one with power, going the lowest and serving. And he concludes with this after, if you look at verse 13, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus gave us this prime example of exactly what he's talking about. I am among you as one who serves. I just want to give you one more example from Philippians. Philippians 2, 3 to 7. Apostle Paul wrote this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Amazing, like the second member of the Trinity in eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he left his position in heaven and was born as a baby, clothed in flesh. And we know as he came, the, the world that he created and spoke into existence, there was no room for him there. The humility in which Jesus came, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And again, the most powerful one, going the most low. This is the example that Jesus gives us. If we would continue to read in Philippians or in, in this week, we remember that as he came, and he came to go and die on a Roman cross. The one who is the most powerful, going the lowest, serving all. He says, I am among you as one who serves. How can we follow that example? As, as Christians, if we, if we want to be great or we want positions of power, look for places to serve. If Jesus said, hey, you're talking about who's the greatest among you, he said, is it, is it the one who's serving or the one who's sitting at the table? He says, I'm among you as one who serves. So we want to follow his example. We want to look for places that we can serve. I think first off, serving in our homes. Not, not me, but you type attitude. And whatever that looks like, however you need to serve around your house or maybe your neighborhood if you're alone cleaning up around the house, mowing the lawn. One day soon we'll be doing that again. Taking out the garbage. I don't know, whatever it is, whatever comes to mind when you talk about, hey, serving others. I, I know uh, Easter dinner is coming. We always go to my parents' place, and we, we have a big meal, and often I'm like sitting back and just like, oh, I, I shouldn't have eat, eaten maybe that much. And my parents, they're quick to get up and start cleaning up. And I was so convicted as I was preparing this. I'm like, I need to race them to get in the way and like, no, no, let me clean up. I like just, and just thinking ahead of time, how can we serve others? Being proactive in that. Jesus has given, given us that example. And you guys can keep me accountable to that. Ask me about Easter if I beat my parents there. How, other places we can serve, obviously we can serve in the church, serve in the body gathered. There's lots of different areas as we, as people greet, the people who have set up chairs, we came in at six o'clock. These chairs are up in a moment. Thank for everyone who helped. We always are looking for people to do that. Greet at the door. 
We, we need people to help with sound as well. If, if anyone has an interest in doing that, there's a place that you can serve as we gather. And of course, serving wherever God has you in your work, your community, how can you serve others in the places that God has you? Looking back at Luke 22, think about in serving others, like what, what does that get you? I'm like, really? Even as Jesus was telling the disciples, what does a life of service to Christ and others warrant? We think, because we, again, we think of power like positions and authority and prestige and money. And Jesus says, I'm a, I am among you as one who serves. What does that get you? Look what Jesus says, verse 28. You are those who have stayed with me in, the, in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. All but the last one, friends, that's, that's for believers who would be servants among us, serve each other. We don't get to sit on thrones and judge, judge the 12 tribes of Israel. That's for the apostles alone. But if we come as servants, we're followers of Jesus Christ, we have a kingdom to inherit where Jesus is the king. An eternal kingdom that we get welcomed into. And we get a feast. We get a seat at the table. What a reward for the servants among us. Again, anyone who would have faith in Jesus Christ is not saying you need to do a certain number of things. But with Jesus as our example, there's power in service, in serving one another. But what a reward. A kingdom and a feast, a place at the table with Jesus. So isn't it interesting? This is, that's what the disciples were talking about. As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, they're like, I think I'm the greatest. No, I think I'm the greatest. And Jesus in his correction, hey, I am among you as one who serves. So I hope you can see very clearly there's power in service and power in serving other people, putting others first. Jesus gave us that example Following that in the text, in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus, he, he gives Peter the warning, the temptation that's going to fall. But he says, hey, Peter, I'm praying for you. Even when you fall, you're going to come back again because Jesus prayed for him. And then after, he's preparing his, his apostles for what's going to come. He's like, be ready. It's about to happen. And, and then they leave where they're meeting, kind of in the upper room, and we see them move. And so I've talked about power and service. Now I want us to see power in prayer. In Luke 22, 39 to 41, and he and, and Jesus, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. But what's about to come in the gospel, in the story, right? Betrayal. Every one of his followers about to flee. Suffering. The cross. I want us to take note how God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, dealt with this trial of which the world had never seen. Notice what he did. 
Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, he saw what was coming so clearly. Luke shows that in his gospel, Luke 18, 31 to 34. And if you have titles above it, mine says, Jesus foretells his death a third time. So three times in, in uh, Luke's gospel, he's saying, look what's about to happen. In Luke 18, 31, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. He saw clearly what he was going to accomplish. Verse 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Every time Jesus said, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're going, this is going to go happen. This is what's going to happen to me. They're like, what is he talking about? They couldn't grasp what he was saying. But Jesus knew so clearly what was about to happen. So what would Jesus do knowing in detail what he's about to walk through? He didn't go and gather the masses. He didn't lean in on his own skill and knowledge. He didn't shrink from his responsibility. And he wasn't relaxed at all in this, right? He was feeling the weight. What did, he, what did he do? He got on his knees and he prayed. He prayed. And what did he pray in verse 42? We have recorded in Luke's gospel saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He saw it was coming. He felt the weight of it, and he prayed to his Father in heaven. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What cup? Is it the cup of suffering? He was to be whipped and beaten and mocked and have a crown of thorns upon his head, nailed to a Roman cross. Was he talking about the cup of suffering? I also want to take you through a few Old Testament passages that if you're familiar with, you're like, oh, I know exactly what cup he's talking about. You can turn there or you can just listen. And we're going fairly quickly. Psalm 11.6. Notice what the Old Testament says about the cup. Psalm 11.6. Speaking of God, let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. The cup is God's judgment. Isaiah 51, 17. Speaking of what happened to Jerusalem previous, wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering, this, the cup of God's wrath. Jeremiah 25, 15 to 16 says this, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all nations of whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. Among them. So again, it's the cup of punishment, the cup of God's wrath. That's the cup that Jesus is speaking of. 
Commentator Paul Ann says this, wrath is the deep-seated anger of God against sin. This anger arises from his holiness and righteousness. Because of his holiness, God cannot overlook sin. Why would Jesus be taking the cup of God's wrath? Right? Because on the cross, he took our sins upon himself. He paid for our sins, but he also took the punishment that we deserved, God's wrath upon himself on the cross. We sing about it in Christ alone. On the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. This is the amazing thing of what Jesus did. But he sees it coming. He sees, I'm going to go on the cross. I'm going to take the sin. And the Father's just punishment for sin, his wrath is going to be poured out on me. The punishment that we deserve. And what, do, what does he do? Like with that in mind, seeing that coming, he gets on his knees and he prays. He goes where there's true power. Look at the weight he was about to bear. Look at the trial he was about to walk through. And he got on his knees and he prayed. Luke's gospel highlights Jesus' reliance on the Father through prayer. We have it throughout. I'm just going to go through quickly. Luke 5.16. Luke highlights this. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke 6.12. In these days he went to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. This is before he chose the 12 apostles. Big decision. Spent all night in prayer. He prayed Luke 9.28 as he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. In Luke 11.1, 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. This is what he did. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, this is where Luke has the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prays so much, his disciples are like, Lord, teach us to pray. In Luke 18, verse 1, this is written about Jesus. And he told them a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So over and over again, Luke's trying to tell us and show us the importance of prayer in Jesus' life. There's, friends, there's power in prayer. Why? Because of the one we pray to. Again, wh where is the power? Where is the power in this world? I believe it's in the one who made heavens and earth and reigns on high. Is that a lesson we still need to learn? Like for sure, we, we can't relate to what Jesus went through, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's incomparable. It's uncomparable. Yeah, of course, we still go through intense seasons in life. Where, where do we turn? We can try to lean on other people. Maybe we have... People contacts, call someone, try to make something happen. We can try to lean on ourselves, try harder, take it, carry it. Try to lean on our own uh, resources, our own wealth. 
But friends, what should we do? We should be quick to drop to our knees and go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. I don't know what you're facing. If you're maybe going through a trial right now, or if you come out of one, maybe if, if there's work that you need to change, something needs to happen, you have a big decision in front of you, maybe there's some turmoil happening within your life, pressures, maybe it's just a, the country we live in and everything happening in this province. So many things are just moving and changing. Are we quick to drop to our knees and, and seek the one who is the most powerful one? God Almighty. There is power in prayer. He's the omnipotent one. Again, the heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. That's the God we're talking about. And Jesus, look what he was facing. And he got on his knees and he prayed. By going in prayer, by going to God in prayer, you're saying, I don't got this, but you do. And you're saying, I need you to get through it. This is what that type of prayer is saying. Like drop it. Sometimes we, you know, pray standing, pray sitting. Drop to your knees, prayer, crying out to God. I don't have this. And I need you, God. By going to God in prayer in the midst of trials and hard seasons, we become more reliant on God, less on ourselves. We lean on his strength, less on our own. We walk more fully in his will, less on our own, in our own will. There is power in prayer. Do you see it? Do you believe it? Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed and continuing on in, in verse 43. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. God answers his prayer. Jesus, he still has to go through it. He still has to go through the cross, but he's strengthened before it happens. And look at this. It's not that all of a sudden he was like calm and collective. Verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Like what is going on there? One commentator says this, probably perspiration and large drops like blood or possibly hematidrosis. Whatever that means, this is how he defines it. The actual mingling of blood and sweat as in cases of extreme anguish, strain, or sensitivity. Like he was so stressed, if we would use that word, because he saw what was going to happen. Like the burden, the weight of it, he was literally like sweating blood. But he's, he's praying. There's not, like, not just like that, okay, actually, complete peace. He had peace. He knew he was going. The Heavenly Father's watching over him. But he still, he felt it. He felt it. In verse 45, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. Everything that had been happening around them, they still didn't really fully understand what was about to happen, but the weight of it, the sorrow, they, they couldn't stay awake with Jesus. The, the moment he needed them, the greatest, right? We see in other Gospels, he takes all the disciples and he takes his three, Peter, James, and John, hey, come with me, I need you guys to pray. And they just keep falling asleep. Again, this is like in the middle of the night. They're praying, but they, they couldn't stay awake with them. They were exhausted. 
In verse 46, and he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray. You may not enter into temptation. He said at the beginning, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He finishes, rise and pray. You may not enter into temptation. Rise and pray. Because, hey, we're moving on. Get up, but keep praying. Because of what's about to happen, you need to keep praying. MacArthur said this, those who would pray properly must empty themselves of all self-confidence, spiritual pride, and overestimation of their strength and call for divine help. Jesus' words are a warning against being caught prayerless when the full force of temptation hits and are a promise that help awaits those who pray. Again, verse 47, continuing on, just looking forward, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And so he was teaching the disciples. They had the Last Supper. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's crying out to God, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He's strengthened by an angel. Rise and pray. And they continue on, and then the crowd comes. Continue to lead towards the cross. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up the story again on Good Friday. What I want you to see today simply is there is power in service. Look for places to serve others. Follow the example of, of Jesus Christ. Friends, there is power in prayer. Look at Jesus before heading to the cross. He cried out to God the Father. Friends, we go to the one who holds the true power. Trials come. You're either like you're either in a trial or one's coming. This is the reality of a broken world that we live in. The first thing we need to do, go to our knees in prayer. That God will walk with us through it. Give us wisdom in it. If you'll bow with me, I'd like to close this word in prayer. Oh God, I pray you would seal the word in our hearts that is from you. I pray anything that's from me may just fall to the side. May we forget about it. Lord, even as we think about how you cried out, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray in such a way. Lord, make us, in our desperation, grow in faith and trust in you, O oh God. I pray in the, in the days, in, in this week to come, Good Friday, Easter, as we think and meditate upon that, Lord, may we meet with you in a special way. May we feel the weight of what you did on the cross, and may we feel the weight lifted as we gather together on Easter Sunday. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.